Hello, you're listening to The Rest is Education. I'm Ross Borthwick. And I am David Marshall. And today we're going to be discussing the house system in schools. So the idea of school houses go back a long way, and we'll be looking at that in detail shortly. But for many in the UK and around the world, school houses will be forever associated with one particular school evoking images of a great candlelit hall filled with new pupils, returning pupils, owls, witches, wizards, and a sorting hat calling out the names Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, or Slytherin. I'm talking, of course, about Harry Potter, which has changed our view of schools forever. Ross, is there something magical about houses, uh, even if we don't actually have a sorting hat at either of our schools? It's so funny you mention a, a hall filled with candles and different houses and, and whatnot, because we've just recently had our St. Andrew's Ball. And the St. Andrew's Ball here is is effectively a supper, much like what you would imagine in Harry Potter. Long wooden tables, benches, candles sort of suspended, you know, at, at eye height. A, a very uh, Im- impressive room to, to be in, uh, followed by dancing, Scottish dancing. Not divided by houses so much. But um, that sort of world, I suppose, is is quite familiar. So it was, it was quite interesting when you were describing it there. Yeah, there is certainly something magical about houses. And uh, I'm actually speaking to you from a boarding house right now. Certainly, I think they have some element of capturing children's imagination. And the house spirit is alive and strong in every school that I've worked in. It, it, there's a, a love of the house that is... Uh, fostered by the school and so we could call that magical uh, as i said even if there are no sorting hats or wizards or actual magic involved i was wondering actually i was going to ask were you in did you have houses at your school when you were at school i did yeah so uh houses we had four and um you know the color is still my favorite color today i don't know if that's a coincidence or not but um yeah i i remember you know representing the house feeling quite passionate about it you know i couldn't tell you now what the house values were or or any of that but or or even to be honest who was head of house or any of that but um i remember definitely looking back i was i was quite invested in the success of the house what were what were they named after the houses uh so we actually in in primary school we didn't have any names so they were literally just the colors of the house and i think that that may be similar for people listening to this now how about yourself so i i've been in I suppose two secondary schools, and I don't really remember a house system in my primary. We might discuss later whether the house system is more of a reserve of a secondary school, not not un, not university, but perhaps more so. So, in my first school, which I was at from age eleven, they were named after headmasters. So there were some pretty stuffy-looking photographs. Actually, not photographs because you know some of them were pre-photograph because our school went back. somewhere into the 19th century and so I don't think we knew a lot about the 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 heads I think they were just the sort of figureheads this these these old heads um so I was in Young's doesn't mean anything to anyone and it was uh, the color was red Um, but I do remember it being important because I remember wanting to be in the same house as my friend and asking if I could be swapped to that house when I first arrived so I do remember it, it must have been important. We must have been doing quite a lot of stuff within the house for it to be uh, feel like I wanted to be in that house rather than, say, Spencer's, which is the other one that I think I could have gone into. And then in my, I moved school to London when I was 
um, when I was 16, just for sixth form. And they were named after kind of commanders, military commanders. So we yeah, had some Nelson. Common, yeah. yeah, it feels quite old school now, but it was Nelson and, and Marlborough and people like that. Uh, and I was in Nelson and that was blue. And I remember it definitely had the, because I think I've got a house tie somewhere with the the anchor symbol on it for Nelson for the for the boats. So yeah, that's my that's my house experience. Well, Merchant Taylor's School, which some listeners all have heard of, rather famously a few years ago, actually renamed one of their houses because it was it was named after a, a former admiral who was in fact a, a slaver, and so they they decided to to move away from that. It's interesting. Values obviously change, and some schools are willing to. To embody that definitely and and that's quite familiar for not just houses but for whole schools as well i know that you can get sort of schools which are re- renamed it because of associations with past people that aren't considered to be worthy of being named after the schools after them so where where does this house system come from the idea of schools having houses do you know anything about that i i did a bit of digging and it seems like the idea of a house is to do with dynasties and you as a historian might know more than me, but the famous houses I can think of in the UK are the House of York and the House of Lancaster. So the Civil War in the uh, Wars of the Roses uh, quite some time ago. And the idea of a house, I think, is a, is a effectively a group of people who are all related in some way. And you also get this in Romeo and Juliet, you know, two houses, both alike in dignity. So it's not obviously a physical house. It's a concept. It's an idea of of a, of a group of people together having an identity. And I think that aspect of it, although fortunately we're not warring anymore, although there is quite a lot of competitiveness, that aspect of it, the concept of what it means to be a group of people that have a shared identity continues today in what we think of as houses. So I, I don't know if you have any alternatives to that. Uh, no, I was thinking uh, when you were describing, you know, York and Lancaster, cadet branches of the Plantagenet family, I was thinking about um, maybe clan systems and, you know, feudal sort of uh, ways of organizing society almost where people offered their allegiance to a particular family without necessarily having to be blood related. And then through the decades, they, they sort of continue to support or and centuries, I suppose, continue to support that particular chieftain or however you want the you know, clan chief. Um, so, so perhaps there's, there's something in that. I was thinking about actually houses from a a sort of administrative point of view. And when my current school, when it was formed, it it didn't have any houses. Everyone was under one roof. And whilst it was boarding, there were no boarding houses. It was um, boys. uh, It was all boys then. They actually were in their forms. And so you'd have the classroom that you taught in and then an adjacent room where the boys would sleep. And and that was quite common, I think, in the early 19th century. And then as schools grew, there was a move towards actually formalizing boarding houses and having boys of different ages belonging to the same house with almost like a, a parent figure as the housemaster looking after those boys uh, and have, having oversight. And so I think that there's sort of that angle as well. But I, I think that maybe emerged later. So it comes also from a need to divide up a, a growing school maybe into you know groups and different physical houses yeah and i think you know if you think about um the ideal society or the ideal community size the dunbar number is something quoted at 120 and i've probably bored you with that before but it's this idea that you can't really have a meaningful 
relationship with more than 120 people at the same time. And so if you think about the size of some senior schools, they're, they're much bigger than that. And so actually there Definitely. is a need then to, to divide the, the school into more meaningful groups. Definitely. And, um, and then we can talk certainly about the aspect of pastoral care, because I think this is today the most important aspect of houses. And perhaps also it comes from this aspect of boarding, because when you're in a boarding school, of course, you're living there, you're spending certainly weekdays there and often weekends as well. So there's an element of full holistic care that you need to have that's more than just a normal day school would provide. And I think this is where we get the house system spreading out from boarding schools into day schools as well. We might go back and and talk about Harry Potter again, because I think it is so important to what we're talking about. And also because it's a touchstone for uh, any international listeners as well. I do think there is something a little bit problematic about the idea, going back to Hogwarts, of all of the evil people being put in the one house. You know, you've got you've got Slytherin, and everybody hates Slytherin, and it's it's a bit of a problem. Obviously, Harry doesn't want to go in Slytherin. You know, he he sort of like wants to be in Gryffindor, or to be honest, any other house but Slytherin. Uh, but that's not that's not how it is in reality. There is there is a fairly equal division between houses, and really it's there to create that sense of of support pastorally but also maybe loyalty that we mentioned before on competition do you feel i mean the way in which houses are spread out from boarding schools to to, to day schools do you feel harry potter's had an influence on that i i think probably the other way around and and what you're saying about an even spread uh perhaps in in some schools but i think other schools the house has a reputation for perhaps promoting certain qualities or certain supporting certain interests and and that might change as housemasters and mistresses come and go for instance there are particular houses that if you're applying to a certain school you would like to go to based on say your musical interest or your sporting interest that's not to say that you're barred from entering those houses if you don't perhaps tick that box but um there there is certainly an element of that in in some schools as for harry potter shaping it possibly i mean since harry i'm not quite sure how long harry potter films certainly but books a bit longer have been around but We're talking um, about 20 more, something years i think 20, yeah. 20 for the for the films anyway it's about 20 well if i think 20, about 23 years if i think about the school that we both worked at Harry Potter predates that, and and so the the house system in that school can't help but have been influenced. You know, it'd, it'd be mad to think that it wasn't influenced by Harry Potter in a way. And uh, you know, if you look at the the motifs that were used to symbolise each house, there was a certain similarity. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And those, if I remember rightly, were named after local streets. Yeah. And when I was doing a bit of digging into houses, just both in the UK and particularly in the states as well. Uh, it, it seemed like, I mean, there were there was a there was a pretty even mix between the kinds of names that houses were given. So you definitely get your famous people. So my 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 second school had a, a pretty old school, as I said, like military commanders, very macho, very alpha male. And then nowadays, when you get famous people, you get far more diversity in terms of rep- who's who's being represented. Um, a lot more gender equality, which is important in um, in schools in terms of inspiration and role models. But you also, interestingly, you get quite a lot of just architectural features. You get bridges, you get castles, you get um, mountains as well. So uh, geographical features. 
these seem to be quite popular when I just did a sort of a rough Google for house house names across various schools. It seems to fit broadly into those two categories. Have you come across others that are named named differently to to, to those kind of things? Uh, well, not that are named, but we we did have a discussion about changing some names at a, a former school, and uh, it was it was mooted that maybe actually to avoid any possible future controversy we might be better off just picking species of tree which i thought was an interesting argument because i suppose you know it goes back to what's in a name and and i think certain people were chosen weren't they as figureheads because of their qualities at the time but um if our take on qualities changes over time then you know we might need to change the name uh i know my my current house is is named after the initial housemaster uh, that, that first ran the house and his qualities today, I think the ones that we're aware of anyway, are, are still revered, you know, and, and the history of him is, is very much well thought of, but that's not to say that tomorrow there won't be a discovery made about him. And that, that's the thing with history, isn't it really? Uh, our understanding of it, it changes and grows. And, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, sure why not go for for something different but um when you were mentioning role models there i was actually thinking about not not the names of the houses themselves but but of the heads of house and, and not the not the adults but the the pupils because often you have a house captain or, or you know various titles uh, are used but um <clears throat> when you were saying about gender equality i recently worked at a school where the custom was to have a boy and a girl jointly representing the house and i thought actually that that wasn't very meritocratic so we'd have a a blind vote and it just so happened that two girls were chosen to run the house uh, for a particular year which i thought was brilliant and and <clears throat> that that was actually the um you know that was democracy in action and uh yeah it was it was interesting the reception that that decision received from other members of the school community but uh yeah, I Absolutely. think role, role models are so important, and and the house often it it stands behind the the people, not so much the name of the house. Yeah, absolutely, and also you know not to have a binary as well is quite nice, and uh, not to restrict things, which I think is something that we have to, you know, as someone who's now in my early forties, I always have to kind of unlearn things, and uh, in terms of my own upbringing in my life experience and trying seeing things afresh as you said as as time moves on and values change we also have to uh, acknowledge that situations might change uh we might sort of say yeah let's let's do away with this idea which seemed probably pretty radical to have a boy and a girl maybe when it was first mooted some 20 years ago who knows or 10 years ago and now feels a bit restricting so again that's about that sort of shifting of of, of values sh- shifting of thinking as well I want to just go back to this idea of what's in a name. When I was thinking for this episode, because we were talking about this over the last you know, week or so, I was thinking that, you know, you've got your bridges, you've got your famous people, your role models. And I felt it fitted into three categories broadly, which I would call tradition, aspiration and community. In the sense that your community is emphasized by calling your house after a local landmark, because that sort of saying we are about something local. You could also do that by calling after a local famous person as well. So that would be another way of doing it. The idea of tradition is your, you know, your heads 
of uh, you know former heads or the first house housemaster or housemistress. And then I, I like this idea of aspiration as well because I think this is where you get role models coming in, uh, diverse role models. Um, you've got sort of you know there are some some again when I was looking at houses, you've got some houses, one house which is named after a Paralympic sort of athlete. Um, you know, another house is named after an activist from Brixton. So you've got a range of different peoples and things like that representing, again, diversity. But also I thought aspiration is interesting because I once went to a school where the uh, the houses were named after Russell Group Universities. So for those who are from, from outside the UK, those are the sort of, I, I want to be diplomatic here, but they, they're the sort of higher and universities to, to well, they're, they're called that yeah they're, they're research-based universities so they, they met they're called that because they, they they met at the russell hotel in london and they decided to form a, a group at the the point when red bricks were being thought of essentially when polytechnic colleges were being turned into red brick universities is there anything you don't know the history of for us this is just uh, many, many, many things sorry i'm insufferable carry on no, it's great. I love that. Um, so, I mean, R- Russell Group Universities don't include Oxford and Cambridge. So, but they, this school did include Oxford and Cambridge and a number of others as well that aren't aren't Russell Group. But effectively, it was about aspiration. So, if you you know you're in St Andrew's House or you're in Cambridge House or you're in Warwick or Exeter, there's from pri- this is a primary school as well, not a secondary. You are encouraging children to think about aspirations. Yeah, and I, I suppose lots of universities are named after individuals as well, aren't they, really? You know, you mentioned Warwick, you know, that could be the Earl of Warwick, going back to your your Plantagenets and your Wars of the Roses. You've got St. Andrews, well, we've just had the St. Andrews Ball, so it could be the, the Apostle St. Andrew, you know. Um, there are, yeah, lo- lots of ways of interpreting it. But what, what do you think about mottos? Do you think mottos are important? I, I think traditionally they were in Latin, and they... For me, because we just had the classics podcast, and as I continue with saying, I don't know a lot about classics. For I me, I think it was the with you on that. By the way, oh, you do? Okay, let's let's talk about that in a minute. But um, for me, like it was the only bit of Latin I knew was the motto. No, actually, we didn't have a motto for our house, but we had a motto for our school, uh, which was something like "Clarity in everything." And any Latin teachers will be able to tell me what that Latin was. So, do you want to do you want to do you want to talk about the Latin, the classics podcast now, or do you want to do you want well, to yeah, save just, that one up? I mean, it's not a, it's not a major thing. I don't think it's going to end our friendship. But um, you know, you, your your comments about Hadrian's Wall, David, I was shaking my head. Just you know, saying that it wasn't dramatic. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, it's a, I you know what I've actually thought. I thought at the time, you know, we've we've had this horrific thing where someone's cut down this tree, uh, which was a beautiful tree in the middle of this sort of gap of the wall. I, I didn't want to mention that at the time, but that's that's a fairly recent thing that's happened. Um, and and that's spectacular. That was a beautiful view. And I, no, look, Hadrian's Wall is a great is a great spot. I just meant the con- contrast of places like the Great Wall of China. It's not the biggest, most um, dramatic thing. But like the Great Wall of China, or like any other historical site, what I think I was thinking was uh, it it makes it more special when you know a bit about it. Absolutely, and you know, Aaron, who we obviously co-host the podcast with, and was on particularly in the, the early days, he and I have have run trips up there to Hadrian's Wall, and you know, we've 
taken pupils that you've taught there and you know and and actually it does bring history alive and i think even to the youngest and those that couldn't really be less interested in that and uh, the opportunity to to run around vindolanda you know pretending to be a, a centurion or you know i i think that that's what captivates a lot of people's interests and i think am i right in thinking that um minimus the sort of classic latin textbook for uh, entry-level textbook the, the mouse actually lived or was set in Vindolanda. So that maybe for listeners that haven't been to Vindolanda, it's just south of Hadrian's Wall. Like it's less than a mile south, I think. And uh, you absolutely should go there. But we're on a massive, we're on a massive tangent, but I'm really glad, I'm really glad you mentioned Minimus because uh, Julia and Anna were kicking themselves last, uh, last podcast because they didn't mention Minimus. So they'd be very pleased that it's getting into this one. You mentioned mottos, and this is how we got into the sort of Latin classics diversion. I'm going to throw that one back at you. What do you think? Are they important? I think there are a lot of mottos that that aren't used. And if I think about our current house motto, Salus Honor Virtus, it's not particularly used by the boys. And I don't think that it means very much to them but then you know if i think about other schools with other mottos you've got gordonston haven't you Plue en vue you know there is more in you this idea of like actually that that is an aspirational motto for for everyone um and and it's something they and use is that a is that a house motto or is that a school motto that's a school motto that's a school mm. motto so i think I'm it's sure. more common to have school mottos yeah and i i know that when i was looking at so i, I thought it's particularly interesting to see whether American charter schools have a house system. And obviously I didn't have time to look up every American charter school, but I did find that the idea of a house system is quite thriving in American charter schools. And they don't have mottos, but they do, well, some might, but they seem to have house chants, which I think links quite a lot to sports days, which is a big, big feature of houses in day schools. And it's probably the thing that you think of most when you think, what's the big house activity? Certainly in primary schools that have houses, I think the sports day is the pinnacle of the year because you, for a start, you're just maxing out on the amount of points you can get. So you your house can, you know, take the house cup. And additionally, sports days generally happen at the end of the year. So it's a time when it really is a free-for-all uh, you don't know who's going to win the house cup because or whatever it is that you have uh, it could be anything because the sports day changes everything so i think i think that's um that american charter school idea of having a house chant does seem quite sporting you I, i'm imagining kind of lacrosse or hockey uh matches where people are sort of chanting their house chant well, and, it's, and, it's not a it's not a house chant, but but on a, a weekly basis, we we have something called congas, which is uh, it's a singing competition in chapel, and it's by house. And there is a tiny little trophy that goes out every every Friday, and each house desperately wants to win. And I think what you're saying there about sports day, maybe a chant, a singing competition, um, you know, a house shout, a house play, or whatever it might be. Are we saying then that actually it's ha- having pupils in houses, it's it's a means to facilitate the idea of competition? Well, this goes right back to our first episode on gamification, which is the idea of competition in, in schools. 
And I remember, if, if I remember rightly, we sort of, we sat on the fence a little bit about it. We recognised that competition is healthy. We recognised that it was useful in terms of gamification. We also recognised that it could go too far. Yet with competitions, I mean, you you in you have sports day, you have house days, debating, photography competition. You've mentioned house singing. I worked at one school which had a, it also had a house singing competition. And that was a huge event. I remember the one year they did Disney and it was the whole house up on stage. So pupils from, in this case, it was from year three up to year eight, all singing Moana or whatever it was. And it was, it was spectacular. I really enjoyed it. And I can see the value in that because it's not just competition, is it? it's bringing everyone together. Um, it's bringing all of the different year groups together to do something collectively. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think uh, within that as well, there are, I mean, it's perhaps easier at a senior school, but but we, we did do this at the, the school we worked at in London, um, giving leadership opportunities as well to, to other pupils and and putting them in maybe creative roles as well. So you know, that if you didn't have houses, I suppose you'd have fewer of those roles. Um, and, and actually, we're trying to, well, something that we are quite keen on is, is developing future leaders. And, you know, we could talk about what leadership means. And we've, you know, different, I'm sure different environments will have different ideas. But um, the, the idea of, of almost practicing leadership before maybe leaving school, I think that that's important. And and you, did, I remember you did a lot of work on this when we worked together uh, in creating opportunities for children, particularly the older children, to have a leadership role where they were doing something meaningful and it wasn't just a token role. So it was something where they had to deliver speeches, they had to work with each other collaboratively, they had to look after younger children. Definitely, I think the house system has all of these opportunities for it. And we have the same thing at my current school where the year sixes are elected as house captains every every term and they get they have to give a speech and then they get the opportunity to run house days and come up with them and think of all the different activities and then effectively look after the younger children and make sure the younger children are having a great time so that's a really great opportunity for someone who's 10 11 uh, or in the case of where we talked before if they're sort of 12 13 yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's also the case that that some environments think that maybe having a house system is a, a bit outdated, and and some schools don't don't have one. Do we do we think that maybe the benefits of a house system outweigh the perception that it's maybe overly traditional or or outdated? Or you know, when we're, when we're thinking about you know having opportunities like you've just described, standing up and giving a speech, and you know, does that reflect? Does that still reflect the modern world? You know, are, the, are these skills and, and roles that we actually want in the 21st century? Uh, or, you know, are we still living in the past, do you think? I, I mean, as we've said before, we feel the system comes from, well, originally from the idea of dynasties through, and then it, at some point at boarding schools, getting the sense of administrative, but also kind of the idea of a house as a concept. And then moving on, and that passes from boarding schools into day schools. And generally, I would say it comes from the private sphere, uh, originally from the big, what we call public schools in this country, which are actually weirdly private schools. They're the bigger old independent schools. 
And then it seeps into the state system. I think what you notice when you look around is that in the UK, we have a lot of academies. Generally, I think a lot of academies have house systems. And if you look at America, the equivalent of the academies, the charter schools, we've already said quite a few of them has houses. In order for them to see it as something valuable to steal from the, the private system, there's got to be something worthwhile in that. Because these schools are, you know, you could say cutting edge. They're looking at the best ways in which to grow pupils, to give them a sense of aspiration, to give them some role models, to give them leadership. So in other words, yes, I think that because it's been adopted on a, on a larger scale, it means that people do feel that it's, it's valuable and worthwhile. I mean, I would hope so. I think for me, for me the, the layers of community are real strengths of house systems and you know the the opportunity for i mean i don't know what it's like where you are at the moment but um members of staff being assigned to a house you know having i i have a, a team of house tutors who within the house they are allocated a group of boys who they are responsible for and you know we we sort of have these layers of of pastoral care and and i think that's that's fantastic for us to to get to know the boys, but but also for the the boys to have actually all these people looking out for them, and that that might be you know once a week, or it could be every day, or it could be several times a day. You know, they they see me probably more than they want to, um, but uh, you know, I I think that we talk about you know pastoral care in in schools, and I remember at university as an undergraduate. I just finished my first year in a, in a residential hall and there was a scandal because the, the funding for residential tutors was cut after I left. And I, I couldn't believe it, you know, the lack of, um, I suppose, the, the lack of pastoral care. And so it's the complete opposite, really, of, of what you would hope to have in, in, in a house. And I suppose for, for a day school, you, you have members of staff assigned to a house in the same way and you could certainly divide the house along those lines if you want to and I'm, I'm sure some schools do absolutely I, I don't have a great deal of international experience but um how how might the house system work in in an international setting well it, it's it's remarkably similar to what you've described actually uh, in the sense that in international schools which are based on schools from say britain a lot of things are copied. And, and to the extent that if you take Wellington College, the UK, if you go along to it, it's um, a beautiful red brick building. And uh, it, it's sort of relatively old. I don't know how old it is, but it looks rather rather nice. And it has all these different houses like Cumbermere and Wellesley and things like that. But if you go to the college in Shanghai, um, you'll find it's a red brick building. It's just not been built a hundred and something years ago, it's been built in sort of 2013 or 2014. But effectively, it's designed to look like the original Wellington College back home. And I don't know how much this is true for other big international schools like Dulwich and, and big franchises that are, you know, around the world. But then the house system, of course, is, is named after the same houses. It has less houses, I think, than the original, because the school's, I think, not as big. But there is something quite unusual about taking these names out of context. I mean, Wellesley, for example, is is the name of the Duke of Wellington. And 
it's quite strange to be sort of in in Shanghai in China and to have houses sort of named after something which is really feels quite out of context but then when you're stepping on that site aside from the fact that you you do know you're in China it does feel like being in a bubble that's sort of being fully imported everything you've got the curriculum and you've got the house system you've got the names you've got the red brick and and so you have house masters and house mistresses and it's largely like you were describing at your school in the sense that it's far more about even though it's not not so much a boarding school there's a few boarders it's more about ensuring pastoral care for everyone so there is this sense of uh wraparound care making sure everyone has a tutor making sure everyone has a check-in one-to-one regularly and then of course as i mentioned earlier all of the big house competitions like the singing the sports day the photography competition so all of those things are unchanged but i i i, I do wonder and i think just having worked at one international school i don't know a lot about others i did wonder whether there wasn't a sort of colonial enterprise here like a sort of new colonialism in the sense that you've got uh britishness in all its public school tradition being imported wholesale to uh, a country which itself has been um, certainly on the receiving end of a lot of bad british colonial sort of efforts and and I'm sure we could talk about the opium war and various other things and that's just talking about you know one location there are international schools british international schools in everywhere from thailand to vietnam to the middle east and and many other places so that aspect of the house system is great for the pupils but it is also slightly strangely out of context but i don't think it's the house system itself that is colonial i think it's the whole international school project yeah i i have to say i find the international school project not not even just you know british international schools but the you know, the, the real variety that you find in the world. I, I find it fascinating because Julia, who you had on uh, in, for the classics episode, uh, she and I actually tutored children, two different children from the same family who were attending the lycée in Kensington. And th- this was, you know, a life, lifetime ago. And uh, they had basically circumvented British education and then decided quite late on that they didn't want to go to university in France. They did actually want to go to a British university to study. Well, the, the girl I was tutoring wanted to study British history and hadn't studied any at all because she'd been attending the lycée. So I think that idea of opting out of the education system in the part of the world that you're living in is just an interesting concept, isn't it, really? Absolutely. And, and you know, I've had this conversation before. We've, we've had episodes where we talk about international schools and there's a lot we could, we could go into. But just to throw this one back at you, some people might say that sending your child to a private school in the UK is opting out of the system that exists in the country. So whether it's the lycée, which is a French school and a French system, for example, there's one in South Kensington in London, or whether it is, you know, a school, traditional school like Eton, it isn't part of the mainstream education system. So throwing that one back at you, the house system as it is wrapped up in this tradition and idea of this old public schools and this, this these private schools, is that not just also outside of the uh, the mainstream of, of education? 
Yeah, I, I mean, there, it's, a, it's a good argument. I think there are a couple of repost really, in that, in that you can follow the same curriculum whether you go to to one school or another. Or often you can anyway, uh, and I think culturally, the the same characters might be present from from one house in in an independent school to another house in a in a state maintained school. But your your idea about sort of opting out the school I'm at at the moment is is an interesting example because it was founded actually before the Universal Education Act and it was founded by by Gladstone who then obviously was the architect of the Universal Education Act three you know decades or so later whilst the education offered here has changed over time you know you'd hope it would have done um, it, it predates state education if that makes or at least free what we would consider free state maintained education and and because of that i suppose there is a is a sort of lasting uh, difference or you know so sort of footprint we this is a huge conversation because state maintained education fluctuates so wildly depending on which region of the uk you're in never mind you know even even from council to council it's a huge conversation i think it's a conversation we could get into but um in terms of like choosing your your child's education i suppose there is a, a bit of variety there and independent schools they add to that in terms of the options that are available but you could i mean to make the argument quite clear you could go to a state maintained school in cumbria and it would be wildly different to one in Dumfrieshire, and you would be studying different subjects under the curriculum of excellence that and um you would have totally different age boundaries and all the rest of it so i mean it's yeah it's a, it's a huge conversation it's a huge conversation and and bringing it back to houses so in general, we feel the houses are a really healthy system, a really great opportunity for leadership. There's lots of opportunity for aspiration and for tradition, for community. I think for me, probably the one best thing about houses that I see is that you've got children of different ages in the same room together, all involved in an activity or activities and in quite a lot of schools, there's not a lot of opportunity for that. I work at a primary school, so we've got reception children who this term just started in education system four four and a half five and in the same room as children who are turning 11 and they are all engaging happily in something together and I think that is just delightful so for me that's probably the most fun and the most important aspect of house system yeah I mean I couldn't agree more with that and and actually it's just so happened that I happened to be giving a tour to parents on Friday, parents of a boy who was in the house. And um, this particular boy was, he just turned 12, actually. He is in a house with with boys on 19, you know, and, and every age in between. And he is on a scholarship here. He was giving a tour to his parents and the parents were waxing lyrical about everything, you know, and, and, and I felt this sort of pride and, and I'm, I'm not obviously responsible for, you know, the, the success of a house. And, you know, it's, it's, you're very much a custodian when you do my job. But something that they said, which actually rings true, and that is it's exactly what you would want for your child, you know, and that's like their words. And, and I totally agree. I think actually your, your child's basically surrounded by friends and role models, but also adults that care about them. And they have these opportunities to do really fun things, whether it's a singing competition or a house production or or a sports day, or and and they're rooting for one another. 
And and actually, I, I wonder what education would be like if you just tore all that away. You know, it'd be quite sterile unless you replaced it with something really quite out of the box, I think. Definitely. So the, the variety and, I don't know, the wholesomeness of it all is part of what makes it work. Sort of takes us back to Harry Potter, really, doesn't it? Because it if, does. you, if you think about houses in, in the films and the books and, you know, you you maybe as a child if listeners were, were children reading the books you might have thought god i wish i went to hogwarts and you know I, I, why is it that you felt that way it's the, it's partly the houses isn't it i mean it's the magic and all of the adventures and stuff but i do think the houses and the idea of them and the gryffindor common room or the stairs that move or the nearly headless nick the different house ghosts it, it is really really fun Maybe it's a good place to leave it. I think that we've sort of come around full circle. I might just finish with one one thing that I found out about Harry Potter, which is that with the house system, apparently when the books are being translated, particularly into, for some reason, into French and Russian, uh, it was quite hard to convey that the house system was a real thing in the UK. And so it comes across, again, apparently, because I haven't read them in French or Russian, Apparently, it comes across very much as a quirk of Hogwarts, um, particularly for people who've been in schools in, in France and Russia, where this idea of a house system just doesn't exist. It, it, it didn't really come across, apparently, as something that was a real system that you can actually go to a school in the UK where you have a house, particularly in a boarding school where you live in the house. So there are probably lots of readers of Harry Potter who just think Hogwarts is the one place that have houses. But of course, we're telling you, they're not and there are houses are alive and well not just in the uk but many countries as well yeah it's a really nice sign off yeah and um it's been really good actually just being back on and uh, i'm sorry you're feeling under the weather but it's uh, it's great that you managed to, to get through that so thanks for for making the effort do i sound particularly croaky not at all okay that's great well um many more podcasts despite illness or not um Ross, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to The Rest as Education. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. I think that's about it. Uh, we're not on Twitter anymore. We're I've, not on I've Twitter anymore. Formerly called Twitter. We, we got rid of Twitter. But um, um, we are on Gmail. So if you'd like to ask questions or come up with ideas for episodes, or if, if you'd like to be on the pod, please do email us at therestiseducation at gmail.com. Thank you.